0: good morning St Andrews and to anyone else who's joining us this morning. Um, I don't think I would imagine time where our services would be done in this way but that this really is the nature of what we are going through at the moment Uh, and that you don't need to have been infected by coronavirus to have been affected by it. Just think how differently life looks uh, from just one month ago. Uh, How different work is uh, to seeing friends. Uh, How differently church is at the moment, even loo roll supplies. Uh, There really isn't anything that hasn't been impacted. All of us to one degree or another has seen our lives change as a result of coronavirus. Uh, And for me, that has meant temporarily moving back home to Norwich. That is where I'm speaking to you from uh, this morning. And I travelled home two weeks ago. And as I drove home to Norwich on that journey, uh, it takes quite a while until you even see a road sign that points you to Norwich. In fact, it was after about two hours worth of driving to eventually see a sign. There it is on its own. It says, Norwich, 59 miles. Now, how strange would it be if I saw that sign, parked up the car, got my bags out and believed that I had reached my destination? It would be a pretty stupid thing to do and it would have that I'd have misunderstood what the sign was pointing to. Now... Hold that image in your head just for a moment as we think about what we saw last week. Last week we saw Jesus feed a crowd of 5,000 people with just two loaves, um, sorry, with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, And this was another one of those miracles that was performed by Jesus that John records in his gospel and he deliberately phrases them as signs. There are seven signs recorded throughout John's gospel and the feeding of the 5,000 is the fourth one. And what we see in our passage today is that this crowd of 5,000 people who saw the sign didn't understand the sign. They are like someone who stopped at a road sign 59 miles out thinking they had reached their destination. But we'll also see how understanding this sign that Jesus performed can give us a right view of Jesus. And having a right view of Jesus can give us great comfort and hope particularly in this coronavirus world that we are in right now and so how about i pray as we start uh loving heavenly father we thank you so much that we can still do church together even uh, in this different way father help us to sit under your words uh, to hear you speaking by your spirit through your word into our hearts that we would apply it to our lives understand it and believe it lord jesus We pray this all in your name. Amen. The contents of our passage today, so John 6, 25 to 35, in case you missed it, the contents all takes place just one day after the feeding of the five thousand. You may also remember from last week that we finished with Jesus walking on the water and getting into a boat with his disciples. The disciples had been heading to the other side of the sea from where this miracle had been performed. And so as we pick up the following day, we have Jesus and the disciples on one side of the sea, and we have the crowd on the other. And the crowd are looking for Jesus. They're trying to cross the sea to find him. Uh, And so as we read from verse 25, we see that the crowd have found Jesus. It hasn't taken them very long. They've done it in just a day. And they say, Rabbi, When did you come here? To which Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The crowd come to Jesus with a question about his movements from the last 24 hours. But Jesus disregards their question and goes straight for their hearts. See this where he says, You are seeking me not because you saw signs, Well, they did see signs. They saw Jesus feed them. They are literally first-hand witnesses and recipients of a sign. But what Jesus is saying to the crowd is that you have not understood the sign. In fact, you have completely missed it because you are only coming to me now because you are hungry again. You want more food. You want me to supply more food for you. The crowd have their heart set on physical and material fulfilment. The only reason they have crossed the sea to follow Jesus is because they want more of the physical and material blessing that he gave them the other day. They want more bread. They want more food. And they want Jesus to solve that for them. They have witnessed him do it once. So why wouldn't he do it again? They look at Jesus through a material lens. They have a material perception of who he is and what he has done. All they are seeing is a man who can miraculously solve their material and physical problems like hunger. But the error they are making is that they do not recognise that the miracle was a sign. Its purpose was to point to something else. And in fact, John tells us in chapter 20 of his gospel that these signs have been recorded so that you may believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. I.e., these miracles are signs that point to Jesus and tell us who he is so that we may believe in him. But that's not what the crowd are doing here. They see the miracle but they don't see the sign. They mistake the road sign for the destination. They see Jesus as a bread-wielding, fish-multiplying miracle worker who can satisfy their daily need for food. But this is far from who Jesus is. And we've already seen in John's Gospel that Jesus has been described as the saviour of the world, as the word in flesh, as the centre point of scripture, that he is God's son. And the sign that Jesus performs throughout his gospel, they all point to him and who he is. But the crowd, they see the feeding and they don't understand it. They don't see what it points to. And they don't see it because it is this material perception that they have, It is this material lens at which they look at Jesus and what he has done, which causes them to misunderstand the sign. And so Jesus, he confronts this material view of theirs. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. It is trademark of Jesus's ministry to offer two choices, the narrow gate and the wide gate. Build your house on the rock or build it on the sand. And here it is again, this time in the form of bread that perishes and bread that endures. Two choices. It is always two choices. And here it is. It is two types of bread. And so for the crowd... Firstly, Jesus appeals to them to stop working for food that perishes. In this instance, he is saying, don't follow me if it is food like the bread that I gave you yesterday that you want from me. Why does he give them that warning? Well, because that food perishes. That food is not what Jesus has primarily come to give. The crowd, they see what Jesus has done. They see what he is capable of. And so they want to match him up with their physical needs. And so they'll chase after Jesus. They will cross seas to find him. They will work hard to encounter him. But it isn't really Jesus that they want. They want another fill of loaves. They want something to benefit them in the here and now to reap a reward that is tangible, that indulges them on an earthly level. And to them, Jesus is simply a means by which they might get it. But can you see that when Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, it means don't look to him to be your material saviour. But if we only ever look at Jesus through a material lens, just like the crowd, then that is all Jesus will ever be to us. We will only ever go to him to help us with something. Jesus, give me a comfortable life. Jesus, make me a homeowner. Jesus, please, that promotion, I need it. Do you see how when we look at Jesus through a material lens, he just becomes a material source to feed our material identity. And that is a wrong understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. When we view him in this way, we become like people who stop at road signs, thinking they have reached the destination. We will count our material blessings and think that was all Jesus was ever here to do for me. But do you see the terrible mistake that that would be? Because you see what Jesus is saying? It looks like in the end. Jesus says that it is perishable food. It is food that will spoil, it will mould, it will decay. And so if our life's efforts are poured into this material world, if that is all we work for and all we ask Jesus for, then we will get to the end of our lives and see that all we ever wanted Jesus to do for us was to give us food that will perish our life's work it will be laid out before us and look like a rich banquet we'll get to the end of our lives and we'll look upon all that we have done and we will see that this rich banquet of our efforts is now moldy maggoty and decaying and ultimately to be thrown away and amount to nothing And so this is a loving warning to the crowd. Jesus wants them to see that this miraculous bread that they ate the day before is not it, that there is nothing special about it. It is just bread, which like everything else will go to waste. But do see that there is something that Jesus gives that will last. And that is what they are to work for. Because as we carry on into verse 27, Jesus advises the crowd to work for the food that endures to eternal life. See, Jesus is not in the food business. He is in the life business. This is what he has come to give. This is what the sign was all about. It was about Jesus's capability to give eternal life. Not bread, not things that will perish, but eternal life. Now, don't mistake this for thinking that Jesus can't or doesn't give material blessing. Uh, He has already demonstrated that he can do that. But his primary purpose is about giving eternal life. And that is what the crowd should work for. And so it asks the question, what can you work for? that will endure to eternal life. Collectively, as one human effort, we have given that quite a good crack, right? Um, We we work hard in our lives to acquire property, to build businesses, to amount wealth that we can pass on to our children and grandchildren. Um, We've written books, produced art, Composed music that is remembered across generations. There are buildings and landmarks that span across centuries. We have this economy that never ceases to churn and that relentlessly demands the 9 to 5 of most of our lives. There are things that we have worked for and established that appear to be never-ending. They give off this aroma of eternity. But that is all it is. It is just a smell. It is just an appearance of eternity because there is no eternal substance to it. And that's because Jesus tells us that the food that endures to eternal life cannot come from human efforts. It cannot come from the works of our hands. It can only come from this person called the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus' preferred title that he refers to himself by. And so Jesus is teaching the crowd that the food you are to work for, that endures to eternal life, can only come from him. And therefore, everything else that you produce by the works of your own hands will one day perish. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us of this same truth. It says, what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil with under the sun. There is nothing that we gain from the works of our hands that will not perish. Are we not seeing this in in the current crisis? Is coronavirus not showing us that all things that we have made have an expiration date? Global markets in panic, the economy in meltdown, Businesses and industries collapsing, jobs lost. Life savings and pensions wiped, sport cancelled. Holidays, weddings, celebrations postponed. Civil liberties halted and most tragically for some. It will be life itself that is lost. The world that we have built, the collection of all our lives efforts, the things that we have worked for, sacrificed for, given daily for, which many of us have poured our time and money and energy into, is suddenly now failing and fading. This episode we are in is just reminding us that this world is not made to last. Now look, the world isn't going to end because of coronavirus, far from it, and we have a lot to be confident about and assured about as we navigate through a rocky patch but don't miss what this is showing about the world that we are in that this physical material world is only temporary and if it is only temporary then it is a misapplication of our life's work if we focus it all on this world if we deposit the collection of our life's work into this world we will only reap a temporary reward And so here is the appeal from Jesus. Here is the hope within the chaos that there is a life, everlasting life, that it is going to endure beyond all of this. It is life that cannot be scathed by coronavirus or any other opposition, that even as we lose things now as a result of coronavirus or anything else in life, as we lose things now, we are only losing things that were destined to perish anyway. And from Jesus, he is giving to us life that will last beyond all of this. What a reassurance that is, what a comfort it is to know that we have a saviour who gives abundantly more than just material riches. Because if that is all that Jesus gave, if all Jesus gave were material blessing, then we would have no hope in this crisis. Because if Jesus is just a material saviour to us, then he is disarmed by an enemy like coronavirus that threatens our material world. But instead, we have a hope that is laid up in the eternal life that Jesus gives to us. That is where we will find our hope, our joy, our perseverance, our comfort through this time. Our way through this is by having our hearts set on the life that is to come, the life that Jesus gives. We are to long for and pray for the kingdom that we are to receive as co-heirs with Christ, the kingdom that cannot be shaken, where there will be no lockdown, no quarantine, no virus or death. Because what Jesus has given to us is going to endure. Everything else can fade, but Christ is going to remain. And so that is where our hope is in this situation. It is in Jesus and in the life that he has secured for us, that he gives for us. And note at the end of verse 27 that Jesus reveals how he can give this food that endures. It is because God the Father has set his seal on him. And so Jesus can give this bread because the Father has approved him to. Now, for this Jewish crowd, that brings big implications. Their legalistic mindset of working for and earning God's favour leads them to asking in verse 27, or sorry, in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? For them, the only way they ever believed They could receive something from God was by earning it through observation of God's commands. It could be rephrased as, What can I do to qualify for the gift of food that lasts forever? For them, it is all about reaching a standard through which, sorry, for them, it is all about reaching a standard through their actions by which they will earn God's favour. But do you see how that approach, that mindset shows their continued misunderstanding of the sign? This question of theirs about what they can do, what work they can do, is about bypassing Jesus and finding out what they can do on their own to do the works of God. Jesus has literally said to them that he can do the works of God because God has approved him to. But the crowd just seemed to look over that and say, no, 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 Jesus, what can we do to be doing the works of God? See, they are still missing what the sign is pointing to. These works, like feeding the five thousand, are screaming at them, look at who Jesus is. This is a man who can do the works of God. This is the one who can give you the food that endures. This is the one who can earn your favourable status before God. And yet they miss it. They see the sign, but they don't see that the destination is Jesus. And so Jesus tries to help them. He answers them in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. And so Jesus has turned the crowd's question on its head. There isn't any work that we can do. Instead, it is to step back and believe. It is not so much the things that we can do, but it is the things that Jesus can do. It is out of our hands. We we can't do the works of God. Only Jesus can. And so the only thing we can do is believe in him. But see, there is an interesting interplay here between the words work and believe. It would be easy to mistake believing for the word faith. But that isn't the word that John has recorded here. In fact, the word faith doesn't appear not even once in John's gospel remember how John describes the purpose of his gospel in chapter 20? These signs have been recorded so that you may believe in Jesus. It doesn't say to have faith in Jesus. Now, that we, we do need to have faith in Jesus. But this interplay of work and belief shows us that there is something active on our part. And in fact, we can recognise this in the way that Jesus calls his followers. In, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. There are three points of action to deny, take up and follow. How about in John 14, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus says that the one who built his house on the rock is the one who hears his words and does them. Likewise, in what we're seeing this morning, Jesus doesn't fault the crowd's effort to work after him by crossing seas to find him. Uh, this is why Jesus can say that believing in him is the work that you can do that endures to internal life. Because believing isn't a state of inactivity, but it is the proactive application of our faith. But that doesn't mean that what we do equates to the works of God because the works of God are reserved for Jesus only. But our believing in Jesus acknowledges his sufficiency to do the Father's work. And it shows our dependency upon him for the food that endures to eternal life. And so the crowd asked Jesus in verse 30, What sign do you do that we may believe you? What work Do you perform? They want Jesus to give them proof of his claim to do the Father's work. To prove that he really is worth believing in. They want to see what work he is doing. And it seems almost outrageous of them to demand a sign from Jesus when just the day before he he literally fed them with five loaves of bread and two fish. But they raised Jesus with a better miracle from a better prophet. They say, our father is a manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave bread from heaven to eat. The crowd are referring back to the events of Exodus 16, where Moses asked God to provide Israel with food while they were in the wilderness. And so God responds by raining down bread from heaven to feed Israel. And so you can see why the crowd referred back to this. Just compare the two miracles. Jesus has fed 5,000 people from five loaves of bread. That's impressive. But Moses, where well, he provided bread for hundreds of thousands, six days a week for 40 years with bread that came from the sky. Um, so Moses wipes the floor with Jesus. Why are the crowd going to leave behind the works of Moses for the works of Jesus when he's not even in the same league? But once again, this crowd continue to show their misunderstanding of the sign that Jesus has performed. They are still looking at Jesus through a material lens. Because they are comparing the material perishable bread that they ate with the material perishable bread that their fathers ate. Their eyes are still set on the things that will perish. They will only look to Jesus to be their material saviour. And so Jesus replies in verse 32 Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, Moses didn't do anything. It was God who gave the manna in the wilderness. But what is amazing here is that God who gave their ancestors bread from heaven in the past, is at work now, in the present, giving them true bread from heaven. See that in verse 32? My father gives you the true bread from heaven. The crowd have been given something far better than what their fathers ate in the wilderness, but they don't see it because they can't lift their eyes from the material bread that Jesus gave them. And so they can't see what he is saying, that he is the bread of God. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is he. It is a man. It is a person. Jesus is the bread. That is what the sign points to. Jesus miraculously feeding 5000 people in the countryside is a sign to show that he is capable of, of giving bread from heaven, like God the Father did in the wilderness 40 years ago. And the destination that the sign points to is Jesus's sufficiency to give true bread from heaven. The food that endures to eternal life. The bread that is going to give life to the world. But see, Jesus isn't just giving the bread... He is the bread. Look at that in verse 35. I am the bread of life. When Jesus says to the crowd in verse 27 that he will give them food that endures to eternal life, he means that he will give himself for them so that they may have life. But but not just life, eternal life. And when Jesus says in verse 29 that this is the work of God, that you believe in him, It means to believe in Jesus' work of giving himself. It is this act of believing in Jesus through which we will receive eternal life from him. We know our works, our perishing works, nothing we can do can endure to eternal life. and So we must recognise that we live in a fallen world and are living fallen lives. So we need a saviour. We need someone who will produce an eternal work for us. And that is Jesus giving himself on the cross, dying for us, taking the penalty of sin for us. But the tragedy of this passage is that the crowd still do not understand. They still want literal, physical bread. And in the verses that follow our passage, They are restricted by their material lens, at which they look at Jesus. But the bread that Jesus has given for us, the bread that we all need, is Jesus himself giving us his life, his righteousness, his death, his resurrection, his eternity in his kingdom, which is given to us now because he has given it not just for the crowd, but notice that He's given it for the world. And so that is the application of this passage. It is simple. To believe. Believe in Jesus. To feast on him as the bread of life daily by believing in him. Because look at that in verse 35. Whoever comes to him will not hunger. Whoever believes in him will not thirst. He gives us all that we will ever need, and he is able to satisfy all our needs and troubles. And so particularly in times like this, are we not all hungry for coronavirus to end? Do we not thirst for it to cease? And yet Jesus is the bread of life who can give enduring food that satisfies this hunger, and he already has. By giving himself on the cross, he has given us the hope. That will endure beyond all of this, beyond any brokenness and beyond any disaster. We can come to him now in this current situation we're in and find this satisfying hope in his death and resurrection. So yes, his next few months might hurt and the pain might feel very, very real. But it cannot endure against the work of Christ because what awaits Us on the shores of heaven is an eternity where death is just a memory and tears are no more. We've got to work our way through this. We are to believe in Jesus and be full of Christ. Feast on him daily. Believe in him. Trust in the hope that he has given us in the life that is to await us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given yourself for us, that we may have eternal life, that you feed us daily through the sacrifice of yourself on the cross for our sins and so that even as we feel the pressure and the trouble of this world, even as coronavirus sweeps across this nation, we can have complete confidence and assurance in what you have already done for us. Father, help us to believe in you and to trust in you through all things. In your name we pray. Amen.